we don't really recognize the spouses that are behind us that are pushing us. Now, how do we recognize a healthy support system and an unhealthy support system? And how do we get out of that if that's the case that we're in? Yeah, I think um, I think this is where it's it's really important to be. I talked about resilience uh, mm-hmm. and a big part of being resilient. We're all going to um, deal with challenges, obstacles, adversity, and a big way to get through that in a healthy way is to be incredibly self-aware, self-reflective. Um, and I do think to your point around surrounding yourself with, with good people as well, who it means not only do they support you, but I actually think they, they challenge you um, and can give you some of the radical candor, right? Being completely open with you from a place of care and compassion. You're listening to a podcast that encourages you to embrace your vulnerabilities and authentic self. This is your transformation station. And this is your host, Greg Favaza. Victoria Peltier, welcome to your transformation station. How are you doing? I'm excellent, thank you. Okay, beautiful. First, I want to go into just some understanding of organizational leadership and organizational culture and establishing a healthy culture. Um, for your from to understand your personal opinion, what is an example of healthy organizational culture? Well, I should say that I think culture is the outcome of um, things, your policies, your procedures, your leadership, action, language, and behavior. I think too many companies put a fancy mission statement on the wall of what the culture is um, and aspirational. And so I, I want to state that. So I think, you know, a culture, as I said, is made up of all of these facets and therefore, you know, creates the environment in which we work in. And so healthy culture is based upon, um, again, no silver bullet, a multitude of things uh, from aligning the right people with the right skills and the right roles and making sure they're clear on how they can impact the business, the customers, the community, the world at large, if you want, so that, you know, that it's meaningful for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's around, I'm exceptionally committed to having a diverse um, equitable and inclusive environment and the inclusive pieces around we feel like we can be our authentic selves showing up we we feel like we can belong the lived experience we have we can bring to the table without fear of like repri- reprisal for it and the fact that it's going to be embraced i think it's mm-hmm. about having a leadership that embraces much more of a human-centered empathetic leadership style that is open honest and transparent to the extent that they can be those are just some of the highlights that's beautiful. Uh, what's your What's your take on diversity and inclusion? What's my take? Well, it's not only the right thing to be doing uh, for businesses, for you know the employees, the community, the world at large. It it's good for business, and I think that m- many older school or not as progressive 
leaders and people think that there's a cost that comes with creating a diverse workforce when the reality is the data shows that diversity and inclusion brings significant benefits such as greater innovation, faster problem um, solving, lower risk, that higher engagement of employees creates longer term retention and usually higher productivity, which delivers both top and bottom line. So it's the right thing to do, um, you know, for, for all of the constituents involved, but also incredibly great for business. Interesting. With you saying the old leadership corporate philosophy or older corporate leaders, what do you think the cost is that it's too much to actually go into that? Well, I, I think they think about the cost of having um, persons accountable for a chief diversity officer or a team uh, about the fact that they're needing to invest in different ways to go about recruiting and talent mm -hmm. attraction. The fact that they're doing, um, you know, unconscious bias training. So they see the hard dollar co costs associated with programmatic things within the organization versus seeing it as just a new way of working mm -hmm. and the benefits that come with it. So they see that. And so they'll cut like when looking to cut costs, well, we're going to cut some of the training and development programs. We're not going to do some of the additional college fairs that let's say historically black colleges. Uh, we're not going to invest in the employee resource groups to sponsor the pride event for, you know, for um, their LGBTQ employees. Mm -hmm. they'll, so they'll cut those things, but those are actually just, in my opinion, just ways of working that, um, create that sense of belonging and drive the kind of culture we were talking about. That's interesting. So I, I want to save, I just had one question. I'm going to save that for later as far as with mental health, but establishing these drivers of change. I mean, does that come from the corporate level? Does it come from leaders that are taking the next step up that want, that are going to hold a management slash leadership position where where do these drivers of change come from and how do they occur? I actually think they come from all levels of the organization. Our voice is our power. So I think entry-level employees think that they have no power uh, because these leaders in the business get to you know um, make decisions. And yes, there's a hierarchy for a reason. And so business strategy will be determined at a certain level, but our ability to voice when we see inappropriate behavior or language or discrimination, we all, that that change can come from everyone within the organization. And that's not just about now like DE&I and, and the people side of things. I Going back to the benefits of diversity, this, like the, the different experiences we all have allow us to look at new ways of doing work and the status quo and the way we've always done things doesn't create new behavior, new opportunities, new market share. And so I think we everyone needs to recognize it comes from, from all levels. Uh, I do, however, believe that, um, that there is a, a lot of privilege that comes with the rise in the hierarchy. So with, with that, I actually, I feel more responsibility uh, as a senior leader to drive more of the change because I do have the attention of others within our organization, uh, I do have a platform. Um, so I think that responsibility comes with more expectations to do more for change. 
Okay, so you brought up the voices. We all have this ability to make that occur. Now, does this apply for any kind of business or is this any kind of organization, government, nonprofit? It doesn't matter. If we want a new form of senior leadership, how would we go about that change? I, I think you're right in the question you're asking that it's it's actually not just in business. I do think I, I think it's on every front. It's in our communities. Yeah, it's in our, um, you know, in, in politics. And no, we don't need to have a political conversation. But I'm, I'm of the opinion that you don't get to bitch if you haven't at least cast your vote. Uh, so um, so yeah. I, so I think we have that that opportunity. And we should really be, you know, thinking about it that in, in you know, lots of voices of one person, one vote can create this movement. That's that's beautiful. That's, that's really interesting. What, what about with uh, recognizing our biases? I know there is a lot about understanding organizational culture and uh, geographic expansion. So we're networking and trying to work with different countries. How would we recognize our biases and how that could cause implications on the corporate identity as a whole? So we all have biases. And so I think it's important to educate ourselves on the unconscious biases that we have, the cultural biases that we have. Uh, And so do our best to educate on even within our own, um, you know, um, culture and geographic, um, you know, business locations we're working in. And then to do some research around what it's like in other cultures. I had to learn early on. I became an executive very early and started leading global teams around the world. And India was one of the first places um, that I I started to travel um, uh, overseas to outside of Europe. Uh, And so needing to learn like their hierarchy really matters. The caste and class system really matters. Gender and thinking 20 something years ago was even more starkly different. So me as a female leader coming in and just understanding how that dynamic worked, understanding that they don't want to say no to their senior leader. I want someone to challenge me. So in that case, there was a little bit of firsthand experience. I hadn't probably done enough research to understand all of that. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, got um, slap in the face with some things when I first first landed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's really important to educate ourselves um, and to seek feedback and allow people like I going back to this sort of the voice piece when you so I, I was recently in a um, like an employment collaboration site and someone said, hey, guys, I'm like, or hey, fellas, I'm like, oh, what about me, right? Or and so just being aware of like, and those are just things that many people don't. There might the intention might not be there, um, mm-hmm. you know, negative, but just to to think about that and have people who are comfortable in in speaking up and challenging as well. That that's beautiful, and it brought me to the right to the next question perfectly for junior females that are going to be occupying a position such as similar to yours or around that hierarchy, what would you tell them? Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I attribute my career success to a number of things. 
Um, I mean, first, uh, first and foremost, for anyone, you need to perform. So understand the skills you need, understand how success is measured within your organization. So you can be seen as successful um, as a, you know, highly productive uh, employee. So, I mean, that, and don't trust anyone um, to help you with the skills for, like you own your own career. So take that in your hands and recognize like, are there new skills when you think about technology and AI that's here? Like, am I going to need to adjust? Are there new skills I'm going to need to learn or lean into? And so th that would be one. Establish a really strong personal brand for yourself that is more than the subject matter expertise or the job that you sit in uh, around who are you as a person? What are your values? Um, what, what are your personal interests and passions? And then what, what like, what do you want to be known for? And you know, don't again, rely upon only the people you work with thinking that they're going to be those advocates for you. So build that brand, find yourself, you know, mentors, coaches, sponsors who are going to help hopefully pull you up as they rise within the organization. And then there's um, a notion around boundaries, but I mean, not as, as narrow when you think about band keeping you within a box. Mm -hmm. I, I do that. So as you know, women who often take on more responsibility in the home front, um, if they've chosen to be partnered, if they, you know, have children, they'll bear more of those uh, to, to get it all in. Like I, you know, I made some decisions. Um, I, I worked the same day I gave birth to my youngest when she was sleeping, she was sleeping, wow. but it was my choice, um, wow. you know, hop back online that night. Um, and so, but I, I, but to do everything I've wanted to do, I have learned to say no, I've learned to outsource, I've learned to delegate, but then I've also never let anyone tell me how far or wide I, I could go. So specifically to your question around like for women, like you make that decision on the boundary side, you set your sights as far and wide as you want to go and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And so for me, that's been, I'm fortunate. I, I owe a lot of my success to the two partners that I've had, um, you know, as an adult um, in my first and now second marriage, who actually supported me pretty substantially and carried a heavier amount of responsibility on the home front because I traveled extensively. And so I tell women, like, don't shelf your career because you want to have children. There are ways to have it all. And I actually don't really love that phrase, but most <laughs> no, think of it that way. Um, but again, you, you, have supportive partners or people around you, you delegate, you say, no, you outsource things. Um, Ooh, and then okay. the last, the you, last you, I would say is, is about being incredibly resilient because we're going to have incredible obstacles and learning to be really resilient. You said a lot of things I have to hit on. Um, so you mentioned first with uh, the technological aspect, that is a huge thing that I was addressing in my studies, right? As I was one of my final projects of getting my bachelor's and that's, having a standard, an understanding in what it means to be digitally savvy and a marketable leader to know, like, what are some aspects, like, software, to have an understanding what is, like, how, do I, how do I phrase this? It's the things that we need to know at one point in time 20 years ago is no longer the case what we need to know now, what the hell do we need to know now? And what is it going to look like 20 years from now? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, and it's changed so dramatically. And I think the, if you look at the shelf life of skills, particularly technology skills, they're like, they're reducing by the day. Yes. Uh, and so th this is where 
I say, you know, you need to take your career in your own hands, although you might have gone, you know, to school for, I don't know, C++, I don't know, whatever. I, I, I didn't, I, yeah. although I leave technology businesses, I'm not, I was never a hands-on keyboard like developer. So mm-hmm. like I, um, so you, you might have learned a particular language in a certain environment and then that's changed. So understand. And so a lot of that needs to be education around where's the world you know, moving to within your bit, within a company you work for, you, you can clearly learn what the business strategy is. What, what are the new mm-hmm. products or services that we're committed to bring to market and, and work backwards from there. Okay. Well, so if we're going to, you know, get into much more of it, you know, AI machine learning, here's the types of things I'm going to need to learn. How can I go and get certified in certain things and recognize it? I, I worked for IBM for a number of years and Accenture more recently. And so we do you know, consulting engagements and technology, you know, um, programs. And so SAP uh, has been a really big one. So if you were in like, I don't know, Oracle doing PeopleSoft stuff, well, like that's aged. Everyone's moving to the clouds. Maybe I need to learn, you know, some different software in that are in the cloud and or things like how it's so much about change as we look at digital transformation, cloud Mm -hmm. modernization programs, the change management function, the project management function, yes. those things to supplement some of the technical skills that you will have and continue to learn. Interesting. Okay. So now my next one is with understanding trust and who to trust as you're climbing this ladder towards the position you want to go to. Now, I I, I could just feel it inside when you were telling me, trust no one and to only just trust in yourself. Uh, well, yes and no. So, um, uh, you know, business, there's, there's no loyalty in business. There's, there's loyalty to people. Uh, and, but that said, when it comes to your own career, like you're the CEO of brand you, like I'm the CEO of Victoria. And so I, I'm not going to put complete trust and faith in someone else to help me get to where I, I need to get to. I need to map that out. I need to develop the skills that I need, right? Like that, I need to seek out coaches and mentors. Mm, That's what I mean by not trusting that someone else is going to develop that for you. Or they they might leave the company or, right? So just things change. I do, I I don't want at all your listeners here to think about not not trusting because there are people who, myself in particular, like the legacy that I want to leave, like it, there will be no tombstone for me. I'll donate my body to someone. But if there was, it's not going to talk about the revenue sales and revenue and profitability that I have driven for the companies that I've worked for. It's not, I want it to be about that. I made this world workplaces, community, the world at large, a better place. And when it comes to a workplace, me as a leader, I'm exceptionally committed to my team, developing them and helping them achieve their goals. And so you could trust me as a leader um, in the business. And so I think, you know, your listeners can find those people, but that means building real relationships with people from a place of generosity and not greed, uh, like a genuine interest in people and learning more about them. And then we want to do more. And so I actually tend to approach things. And I, when I meet people, I, I trust everyone until it's proven otherwise. And so mm-hmm. I actually would rather be much more open that way. Um, and so I'm a like trust, but verify um, with any new piece of information, well, news I read, et cetera. 
I like that. Uh, so with uh, relationships, for someone that's successful, we we can't just do it on our own. We have a support system and we don't really recognize the spouses that are behind us that are pushing us. Now, how do we recognize a healthy support system and an unhealthy support system? And how do we get out of that if that's the case that we're in? Yeah, I think um, I think this is where it's it's really important to be. I talked about resilience uh, mm-hmm. and a big part of being resilient. We're all going to um, deal with challenges, obstacles, adversity, and a big way to get through that in a healthy way is to be incredibly self-aware, self-reflective. Um, and I do think to your point around surrounding yourself with, with good people as well, who it means not only do they support you, but I actually think they, they challenge you um, and can give you some of the radical candor, right? Being completely open with you from a place of care and compassion. Uh, and, um, and, and in some cases, the choice to be around unhealthy people around us can be, do, are we not confident enough? Do we not love ourselves enough to recognize we deserve better? Um, mm, and so yes. how, how can we help? And although I think we can do a lot of help on our, um, for ourselves to ourselves, there's n- no fear in asking for help from others. Well, that's whether that's a professional of a psycho- psychologist, psychiatrist, great, or just finding mm-hmm. like, personal board of directors around you, that group of people who can be that like trusted group of advisors to you. I like that. Now with the, the hierarchy is the further we go up, is it like a quid pro quo relationship? Like that's what I felt like it was in the military when I was down at the bottom, it was like you work hard for everything and it ripples out. But as you get higher up the chain of command, that's what it seems to be like. I don't know if that's just the government or is that all organizations? Um, <laughs> you can comment know. if you want. <laughs> well, I don't know if, like that it's quid pro quo. I, I do think that there's people who operate that way, right? Where like you think of it as a bank and it's like, you've done something for me in here and you can take the credit, you know, out um, it, later for it. I, I choose not to operate that way. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I use the phrase, I said, generosity, not greed. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a religious or really spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I'll, I'll just use the word karma. I believe a little bit in that. Yes. And so that's, I put it, I put it out there and I think the world has a way of kind of working out that way. So for me, it's not a quid pro quo. However, at some point when I see people consistently taking, 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 at some point I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. like there, there was one woman once that, you know, used to report to me and we became friends. And the only time, you know, she'd message me is when she needed something. And at one point I was like, Michelle, like, you know, the only time you like text me is, and she's, and actually me saying that she goes, Oh my God, no, she's, you're right. I'm a horrible friend. What am I doing? Um, so no, it's not quid pro quo. I want people to operate much more from that place of generosity and not greed. Um, and uh, yet, sadly, there's not. I, I think there's still not enough people who who do that. Now we're going to switch it off here for leaders trying to convey down this chain of command the importance of in- incremental changes. 
and getting that relayed back up to establish a common understanding, what's the best way that people can do that? Well, I think um, one of the reasons like substantial changes um, fail uh, is a result of not only poor, poor planning uh, for the change, but the communication mm-hmm. leaders at the helm. And so I think what's critically important is communicating the context even behind why the change, like why have we made this decision? You know, for those who've made it, it might seem obvious, but for the rest of the organization who are used to doing things in a certain way to get them on board um, with a change is to provide that context and understanding and being transparent around the changes and how it's going to impact them. And so I think that's critically important as a communication piece. And then the leadership piece of it, which is deeply connected to, you know, the communication, because they should be the one leading those communications, but they're the ones who are shepherding the the teams along down that path. So they leading by example through that change, you know, being available to recognizing those that might not be comfortable and how do you need to pull them a little bit closer um, to keep them on side? I think not doing those things is when I see things go off the rails for, you know, those companies that are going to do some kind of change. It could be digital transformation. It could be a reorganization, whatever the change is. It's much more effective when there's highly effective communications um, and leaders that stand at the front of that. Yes. So with the context now that, that, that can be, that can be different when we are talking about who is receiving this message. I mean, the, the workforce leadership partners, whether it's internal, external, there's various different people, uh, participants that are going to receive this uh, change strategy, but the context around that can be completely different from one party to another party. It, it, it can for sure. And this is where, you know, going back to communication, what, what you communicate, um, it needs to be different. Um, you know, to different people. Again, those at the, on the very front line aren't necessarily aware of all the senior strategic rationale or reasons, you know, for that. And, and, and they're too far away to, to understand it. So, you know, how do we bring it down into bite-sized pieces, mm-hmm. context different uh, for others? And so, you know, a really effective leader knows that and knows how the nuances and how to communicate it differently for different audiences. I like that. No, that's, that's, that's very deep. I like that. Uh, what's your take with mental health and how that actually is affecting our, our organizations today? Uh, it, I, I think it's much more um, pervasive than it's ever been. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, whether that's just a, this forever culture of this hustle hard, you know, work environment to leaders who weren't human centered leaders who operated in an incredibly like dictatorial hierarchical manner without mm-hmm. bringing people on board to just the fact that on the positive side, we can talk about mental health in a way that it was almost taboo, you know, yes. when I was growing up. And so I think um, employers need to be much more aware of that. When we talk about healthy kind of cultures, creating an environment where it's safe to have some of this conversation and also through employee resource programs, creating um, 
resources and education benefit programs to help support those that have, you know, mental health challenges. It's just teaching our leadership how to be empathetic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I feel like we hit a lot of questions that I wanted to address. I want to give you the floor and let you share whatever you want to share. Floor's yours. Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's cool. I think we, we hit on actually some of the things that I'm like most passionate about. So, I mean, I'm a corporate executive, um, but I've been doing public speaking for a long time and it started about purely like for business all the time. And I'm like, well, that's not, it's not fun. And so the things I, I like to talk about the most are leadership, culture, diversity and inclusion, authenticity, building a strong brand. Um, I think all of those things are exceptionally important. Um, and uh, so I'd encourage your audience to focus on all those things. As I said, I, that I kind of attribute my career success to sort of those, those buckets that I shared and recognizing that, you know, you're the CEO of you. I sign a majority of my social media posts with two hashtags. One is unstoppable. Uh, that's my philosophy, life philosophy. And like, nothing is going to stop me. Uh, I'm, I, I, you know, published an article or a post recently where I was referred to as driven and feisty. Um, <laughs> when, a CEO of a company was doing an unofficial reference check uh, for me. And I think the person who said it meant it in a negative way. Thankfully, the CEO thought it was quite positive. Um, but a big part of that is about my like philosophy, like nothing's going to stop me. And I'm, I'm going to challenge the status quo, like, because I, I want us to, you know, do better. I'm going to advocate for myself. Um, and the other hashtag is no excuses. Uh, and which drives, I will tell you, my children insane. Uh, but, um, but what I mean by that is, that we have choice. As I said earlier, like obstacles and adversity are going to come our way. And I'm a highly emotional individual and I'm very quick to an emotion. So whether I'm angry or I'm sad, the tears are going to flow. No excuses doesn't mean you don't have those emotions and you don't deeply feel it, but then you have a choice in terms of how you're going to move forward. Um, and we can't wallow, you know, for too, too long. Stuff's going to happen. Pick ourselves up got my big girl panties on and I've got, you know, like a plan, a goal or objective. And that that's where I'm going to get to. And so that's why I say like unstoppable, no excuses. And so I, I share all of that so that your listeners can recognize they can be their own version of whatever unstoppable means for them, achieving whatever greatness they choose for themselves. Uh, but to do so with this sort of no excuses mindset. I like that. So with the authenticity and establishing that it would it just come down to feeling what you're feeling in that moment, whether you're feeling sad, angry, and letting that flow. Thus, naturally, whatever thoughts that we have moment to moment, it will come out just as it's supposed to. And that's how magic happens. Yeah, um, whether you're yes. a public speaker, whether you're doing that, you know what I'm well, saying. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I do believe we need to be completely authentic um, and transparent. I've like, like, I'm not, I, I never want to get caught up in a lie. So I'm just going to tell you like, this yes. is the way it, that said some nasty stuff can come out of my mouth. Sometimes when the emotion first hits me, I'm so much better, um, you know, from professionally at being able to temper that. But my poor husband has to deal with like, if I am quick to an emotion, anger in particular, sometimes I say some stuff I'm not so proud of. So that's, <laughs> That's the caveat to like letting the emotions happen and being authentic. Sometimes 
you do, there's a little bit of filter that, um, like uh, that, of uh, the stuff that comes to your head when you're in that moment that probably should not come out of your mouth. Well, then that's where you have that, that your status, it just perceives you and people know not to double cross you or say certain things like, all right, I'm not doing that. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to get my ass chewed out. <laughs> that's right. But this has been a great interview. Um, is there anything you want to leave our audience with before I let you go? Well, if your audience wants to connect with me um, at all, read a lot of the content I share, or see some of the, the keynotes that I deliver, I do have a website, which is victoria-peltier.com. Um, much of the content's there, but they can also choose from there to link out and connect with me on the various other social platforms as well. Perfect. I'll link that in the show notes. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this adventure of growth and discovery. If you're ready to achieve a sustainable transformation, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And hey, if you've enjoyed the show and want to support it, take a moment to leave a podcast review on Apple or your favorite podcast platform. Stay connected with us on social media for behind-the-scenes sneak peeks, inspiring quotes, and the latest updates. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Just search for YTS The Podcast. Until next time, remember, change is constant and transformation is inevitable. Embrace the journey and keep rocking your way towards a better you. Stay bold, stay curious, and stay true to yourself. See you next time on your Transformation Station. Transformation Station.